0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Act 16, we look at a little girl. A little girl who's demon-possessed. She's a slave girl. And this demon has possessed her and has made it to seem as if he can predict the future now i want to be clear as we dive in this story the satan does not have the power to know the future the demons do not have the power to know the future and so this is just a perception this is the demon can come and present itself in a way in this little slave girl that people are turning to the slave girl, wanting to know the future they are paying to find this out to find out how are they going to get rich to find out is who am i going to marry to find out Uh, When and where am I going to die to find out Are these jetpacks that we've heard about 2,000 years later going to finally get here? You know, I don't know, maybe they weren't asking that But they were asking this little slave girl for future advice And so that's the story we pick up on And I love this chapter because we're going to see In this chapter there's a common theme And that theme is that God cares about each person individually Each person personally Elliot had covered the beginning of chapter 16 about the businesswoman named Lydia, who sold purple goods, she she was a successful businesswoman, and her and her household came to accept Jesus Christ, and we see that God had a relationship with this woman. She was highly influential. She, she had a lot of pull. She had a lot of persuasion. She was able to influence her family. But, but you got to think that influence went past her family into, uh, into her neighborhood. That influence went into her business dealings. And people would come to know the Lord because of the power and the influence Lydia had. God cared for her individually. But then on the other side of the coin, you have this little slave girl. Who's demon possessed? We don't know why she's in slavery. We don't know if her parents sold her into slavery, or maybe that she's been born into slavery. Maybe she was captured and forced into slavery when this demon possessed her, and they were able to see the the, the skills and the gifts of this demon to be able to to seem like they could tell the future. Whatever reason, you have this little girl, who much of society would say it didn't matter for anything. She's a slave. She's a child. She's a girl so many reasons that we wouldn't that we would push her off and yet we see in the story God cares for her individually so you have this influential woman you have this little slave girl you have you and me and as we look in the story I want us to be able to pull ourselves in and know that God cares for us individually that each one of us is important to him and could be part of this story the story that we see in the city of Philippi Paul and Silas have been traveling and they travel to the city of Philippi and that's where they met Lydia and they've been spending several days they've been spending several weeks here ministering reaching out telling about Jesus this is a Gentile town as we saw there isn't a synagogue which means there aren't even 10 Jewish men in this entire town it's a Gentile town and so this is where Paul and Silas have been preaching and teaching and so we pick up on the story in chapter 16 verse 16 once when we were going to a place of prayer Now catch that, it says we. Luke is the author of Acts, and Luke is traveling with Paul and Silas at this point. So for the next several chapters, we're going to see uh, the we, and see us, and see that he incorporates himself in the story. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Very specific, this little girl. We meet her, and we meet her into the story, and we see that God is gonna have a relationship. God cares about even a little slave girl. Verse 17 says, She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, if you look at that sentence, that is a pretty accurate sentence, right? She, Paul and Silas are the servants of Yahweh, the Most High God. They are telling us how to be saved. But because of this culture, they would have interpreted her message differently this message isn't a positive one this message isn't one that paul once preached as he's walking around because the most high god like i said this isn't a gentile this isn't a jewish town it's a gentile town they would believe in polytheism many gods and so the most high god means the god on their little tier the top god which would have been zeus so she's saying these guys are are servants of zeus and they're telling you how to be saved in this, in this culture. They weren't concerned about moral, morality. They weren't concerned about heaven and hell and sins. That's not what you're being saved from. The term ser- saved would have meant to, to have a good day, this, that they're here to tell you how to be happy, how to be successful, how to get things. And so the message that she's preaching and going around and telling everyone is, these are servants of Zeus, and they're here to make your everyday good. It's not the message Paul's trying to preach. He's here on behalf of Yahweh. He's here on behalf of Jesus. He's here on behalf of our sins. And to tell us how to find forgiveness of those sins. It's a message very opposite of what this little girl is saying. And so she's going around preaching this. And she's proclaiming this. And so Paul gets very frustrated. Verse 18 says, She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. a little individual girl, demon-possessed girl, God so loved that in the name of Jesus, expelled that demon. We don't hear any more about this little girl. I, I wish we knew what happens next. I wish we knew, and, I, and I'd love to believe, I'd love to think, That there's a little girl who her entire life has known this demon possession, who her entire life has been in control of not only others that are in control of her, her masters, her owners, but she's been in control by this demon. Her entire life, as she wakes, as she sleeps, she hasn't been in control. And for the first time ever, she's set free. In the name of Jesus Christ, she's been set free. And so I got to think that she would just fall on her knees at this moment and begin to cry. I got to think that she turns to Paul and says, who is this Jesus that has the power of what you just did? That has the power of that demon that's been inside me. That has the power over me. Tell me more about this Jesus. And I got to think that Paul would have taken this opportunity. That he wouldn't have just cast that demon out and walked away. But he would have taken her with him and said, come, listen to what we have to share. As we're headed to this place of prayer, come and listen to us. Let us tell you about this Jesus Christ. Let us tell you about the one that has that much power. Let us tell you about the one that loves you that much. And so we don't know anything else about that little slave girl. But we do know about her owners. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought him before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks for any normal person this would have been crushing right had this been me had I been captured and thrown before this quick trial and I was ordered to be beaten and then they beat me and then they threw me in jail that they put chains on my feet and on my my hands I would have been a mess right I would have been in this inner cell just crying tears flowing out hoping that Paul and Silas had a plan because I would have given up right that they were ordered to be kept so strictly that the the jailer instead of putting them in the outer cells puts them in the inner cell the cell that doesn't get any light the cell that doesn't get any movement of air the cell that the rats are coming in and out of and this is their home right now i would have been distraught but these guys these guys are a different breed right these guys in the middle of the night are worshiping and praising god about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chain came loose. This huge earthquake rocks everything, including this inner cell. And the door opens up. As every door of the prisoners open up and, and their chains fall off. God's presence is here. These prison, other prisoners have been hearing uh, Paul and Silas talking about God, praising him, worshiping him. And, for, and i got to imagine that they are so stunned at what has just happened. They are so like, shocked by this God that they've, been, that they've heard these two men praying to that they're, that they're frozen, that they're in shock, that they're surprised that they don't know what to do. Their gates are opened up, their chains have fallen, but they just freeze. The jailer, however, the jailer woke up. And we saw and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He's been asleep and he's a little groggy. He's woken by this earthquake in the middle of the night, and he comes to and he goes and looks and every door is open. He has one job: it's to protect the prisoners. Make sure that no one breaks in and gets sets them free to make sure that they don't break out and get free. And now every door is wide open. And he's terrified. He knows he's gonna be held responsible. He know he knows he's gonna be executed for this. And so he in this midst of this grogginess, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the earthquake, the only thing that makes sense in his mind is to pull his sword and to take his own life. He's not thinking clearly. And in the midst of this confusion, suicide seems like the only option. But luckily, Paul is there. Verse 28 says, But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We're all here. The jailer hears him. And the jailer calls for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The pastor and me wants to to say that this is a a request on how do I get to heaven, right? Tell me about heaven and hell and tell me about my sins and how Jesus Christ would wipe away those sins. But that's not what the jailer is asking. In reality, what the jailer is asking might hit home a little more to the rest of us. He doesn't have this idea of, of heaven and hell. He wants to be saved. Remember, that's what the little girl was proclaiming. You could be saved saved from the hardships of your life right now saved from the struggles saved from that bad moment that you're in at this moment and so this jailer sees that he's about to die when his boss finds out that all the prisoners are escaped he's that all the prisoners will be set free the, this jailer is calling to them what do i do right now in the midst of this horrible moment to be saved tell me how i'm going to make it on, on the other side how am i going to get up tomorrow Something that a lot of people struggle with. Something that a lot of people might be calling out. How am I gonna be saved from, this, from what's going on in my life right now? My marriage is falling apart. How are we gonna be saved? I'm caught up in this addiction. How am I gonna be saved? The debt is crushing in on us. How are we gonna be saved? This relationship's falling apart. How am I gonna be saved? The diagnosis is horrible. How are we gonna be saved? everything is falling apart around me how am I gonna be saved and Paul gives him hope the same hope that you and I can have they replied believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household that Jesus is the deeper answer That the jailer is asking about this moment right here, right now, in the midst of this dungeon and the prisoners could escape. And Paul is saying there's a bigger thing, there's a deeper answer and that is Jesus Christ. There is hope, there is a hope in a future, there's hope in eternity, there's hope in salvation, there's hope in your sins being washed away. And he shares that there is hope in this Jesus Christ. And, And so Paul goes and he shares this with the jailer. That in the midst when the jailer's just crying out, everything's falling down around me. I'm in the midst of despair. I'm in the midst of anxiety, depression, anger, rage. Everything's falling apart in the midst of a broken marriage, in the midst of debt, in the midst of addictions. How am I going to be saved? And the answer is Jesus Christ. It says then, verse 32, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. So Paul and Silas... Go with him. This jailer, I don't know what happens to the other prisoners, but this jailer takes Paul and Silas and he's like, okay, tell me about this Jesus. Let's go back to my home. And so they sneak out of the prison in the middle of the night. And he takes Paul and Silas back, and I got to imagine that Paul, who's not one to ever pass up an opportunity, is the entire journey, every step, telling him about Jesus Christ, telling him about how Jesus came from, from heaven above, telling him about from the beginning of time up through when Jesus came, and how Jesus died on a cross, rose again, that the jailer's sins are wiped clean if he would only believe, that his household sins would be wiped clean, that they would spend eternity in heaven, that there's this hope in Jesus Christ. And so he goes and he tells him this. And and it says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he would come to believe in God, he and his whole household. It's a beautiful scene. The jailer... In the midst of his lowest moment, in the midst of great despair, finds hope and joy in Jesus Christ. That same message could be true for for each one of us. That in the midst of our our bi- work weakest moment, in the midst of our darkest time, there is a hope. In the midst of a dungeon and an inner cell, there's the hope in Jesus. And so we see, you can read ahead and how the story ends. Paul and Silas end up going back to the jail later that night or early in the morning. They go back to the jailer because they don't want the jailer to get in trouble. And so the magistrates come and they say that they can be released. And Paul gets bit on his high horse and he says, hey, 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 whoa, I'm a Roman citizen. You had no right to put us in jail. You had no right to beat us. And so Paul gets a little high on his horse and says, I want them to come and free me. And so instead of the jailer turning the key, he has these magistrates come down, come into the lower part of the the prison, come to the inner cell, turn that key, and walk Paul and Silas out. And then they go to Lydia's house and continue to worship. Later on, Paul writes the book of Philippians. It's a letter to this little town, It's a letter to this church, this church that maybe grew out of Lydia's house. He writes the book of Philippians to the city of Philippi. And as you look at that book and you look back at this chapter, chapter 16 in Acts, you can see some connections, right? In chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul talks about continuing the good work that was started there. And I wonder if as this letter is being read in Lydia's house, and Lydia's there and she sees that the house is overflowing. It started with just her and her family and now the place is packed and people are listening outside the windows and people are are relaying the message of Paul's letter. She sees the work that has been started and is continuing to grow. Perhaps when we get to chapter 2 and someone's reading this letter from Paul, It speaks of our attitude, and it speaks about how Jesus was of no reputation, but he took the form of a servant. Perhaps there's a little girl in the corner of that home that that lights up. This little girl that once was a slave and now has been discarded because she doesn't have her powers anymore, connects with Jesus. He was a servant, just like me. That this is a Jesus, this is a God that cares about each one of them individually. That this work that will continue through Lydia, through the jailer, that perhaps he's there with his family, the work that has continued. This is a Jesus that cares about this little slave girl and became a servant just like her. Throughout this book of Philippians, you see this connection to these stories that we're diving into. But these are real stories about real people just like you and me. It says that after they were baptized, they brought out a meal for Paul and Silas. And it doesn't say it, but I wonder if at that meal, Paul didn't tell them a little bit about the Last Supper, a little bit about communion, that maybe they took some bread and some wine at that meal, and Paul led them to the elements. We're going to have communion here this morning. And, and if you're new to Discovery, well, you'll get this bread and juice that will be passed down. Feel free to dip the bread that represents his body and the juice that represents his blood poured out. And go ahead and partake in it as you see fit. But we take communion every week as a reminder. A reminder of what Jesus did on the cross. Because God loved a businesswoman named Lydia so much that he sent his son for her that God loved a little slave girl so much that his son died on the cross for her, for her. That God loved a Gentile jailer so much that he rose again. And that he loved you and me so much that that empty tomb three days later proclaimed that our sins are washed clean, that we have salvation. I pray that this time of communion will be a reminder of that. That Jesus cared for a businesswoman and a slave girl, a jailer, and you and me. If you'll pray with me, Lord, I just pray that this communion time will be a time that we can see your passion, your love for people. And not just for the masses, but for each individual person. For a little girl who's been possessed her whole life. For a jailer that thought he had no hope. For people in this room that need to hear and need to feel your love. God, let this time of communion serve as that reminder. In your name.